Uh, but let's jump right in. We are continuing our series of House for His Presence, uh, which is our heartbeat. This is our mission as a community. And uh, our desire for this series is to really just instill culture, that we want to instill the culture of this church, because who knows that culture only matters if, if people catch it, that I can preach culture on the stage every single Sunday, but if our people don't catch it, it's never going to be created. And so my desire and longing for this series, guys, isn't that I just give you a bunch of cool information and a bunch of cool theological facts, but that what we teach on would actually uh, uh, dwell within your heart, right? Let the word of God dwell richly inside of us. And so that's, that's my longing uh, this morning. But to give it plainly, uh, a breakthrough, we are building a community that lives in proximity to his presence. And why is this significant? Let's, let's, let's go open some, some scripture. Acts 3.20 says this, then, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Who needs refreshment this morning? Psalm 16.11 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is the fullness of joy. Who needs joy this morning? Exodus 33 verse 14 says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Who needs rest this morning? Every, every single person, come on. We need rest. And this, this is different. I, I want you guys to gauge this, right? Because we, we all know theologically the omnipresence of God. If I go to the heights of the heights, you were there. If I go to the depths of the depths, you are there. But there's something different about God dwelling everywhere and God dwelling somewhere. And this is our longing as a people is that we would be a people that lives in close proximity to God. The way that we define the presence is relational nearness. Say relational nearness. Relational. That it's not just about proximity, but it's also about intimacy. And so who knows, this is the beauty of the gospel that we who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So because of the cross, we, we don't just have access to the omnipresence that's holding everything together, but we have access to the abiding manifest presence of God, that we can know him as a person. And this is so interesting. Jesus says that I will give you my spirit. It's better for you that I leave, which is crazy to think about. It's better for you that I leave because my spirit will be in you, but also with you. The with you is the factor that I think we've lost. That we all agree we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit if you've believed as Jesus as your savior, but his spirit also wants to be with you. That who knows if you've heard God's voice, you're in his presence. If you hear God's voice, you're in his presence. And so last week we talked about David's tabernacle if you're here. And David is, is this crazy, crazy leader, right? We all know his faults, but there's this moment in his leadership when he becomes a, a king over Israel. He has this moment in his inauguration where he brings back the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant was, was known as God's footstool. This is where his manifest presence rested. Wherever the Ark was, his presence was there. But during the reign of Saul, the Ark was stored away for 40 years. Like, we don't know what to do with this, right? Worship wasn't happening. People didn't have access to God's presence. And the nation of Israel was led by a ruler that didn't know God. And David comes in and he says, now that I'm king... It's time to bring back the ark of our God for we've neglected it during the reign of Saul. 
is what he said. And so we see this journey. He brings the ark. He, he brings it in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel. And he pitches a tent known as David's Tabernacle. And what he did is he hosted nonstop day and night worship and prayer 24 hours before the ark for 33 years. This is crazy. The theologians have said that it would have cost $10 billion to fund this kind of ministry. Right? That's almost a million dollars a month that he did this. And so... David, what he did, that the tabernacle of David is a picture of radical devotion to God and his presence. And I believe it's an invitation to the church today. And so when we talked about his presence, the refreshment, the joy, the rest, why this is significant is because God is there. <laughs> because God is there. And this is my longing for this church that people will come in. They may not understand. You may not understand everything that's being said or what's happening or why is that person dancing over there? Why is that person yelling over there? But that you would leave this place saying God was here. All right. Isaiah 66 verse one says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will be my resting place. Okay. So what's happening here? That David in Psalm 132 made a vow to the Lord. He said, I will not sleep nor slumber until I build you a resting place. So we start to see, right, as you read throughout scripture, that God's presence is, is more focused on relationship. That we believe in the omnipresence, but God's presence, God's desire, okay, is revealed in the fact that he longs to dwell with his people. If he didn't, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. <laughs> so we see this in Genesis that when he created, what did he do? When he finished, he rested. But this is very significant. He didn't just rest because he was tired, right? He's God. He rested because he was finished. But he didn't just rest from creation. He rested in it. It's important, right? He was walking among them in the cool of the day. God rested in his creation, amongst his creation. We see the building of the tabernacle, the temple, God with us, Jesus, Emmanuel. We see in Revelation, God's desire, once everything is made new, that man is dwelling perfectly, fully with God. And so the Holy Spirit is so crucial, guys. Because Ephesians says the Holy Spirit is a down payment for everything we'll receive. What's a down payment, right? If you bought a house, down payment's like 3%, 5%, 10%. It's a percentage of the fullness that you're about to have to pay or receive. And so the Holy Spirit, what we can experience on this earth through his spirit is a down payment of eternity. Woo. And so when we talk about the presence of God because we have the Holy Spirit, guys, God can dwell not just in you but amongst you. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? So today what we're gonna talk about is hosting his presence. That what would happen, guys, if we learned to host his presence in our homes, in our dorm rooms, in our workplaces, come on, in our churches? 
because God longs to dwell where you dwell. And I know the idea of hosting God may sound strange, right? It might sound weird because he owns everything, including your bodies. But here's the unique thing. God will never force you to love him. God will never force you to be near to him. Why? Because it's not his nature. Otherwise, everyone would just be instantly saved. But it wouldn't be on the merit of love. It would be on the merit of control. And so when we say hosting his presence, the word host means to receive a guest, to receive Jesus as the guest of honor everywhere we dwell and everywhere we go, right? James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and what? He'll draw near to you. That he dwells where he's welcomed, guys. It's very important. He dwells where he is Welcome. Now, I used to think about that verse in, in James 4 8, right? Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. And we have this idea that we've built this theology that God is just like, which he is, he is pursuing us, right? He's running after us, he's, he's, he's making ways for us to know him. But there's something that shifts in a relationship where the chase is mutual, where the pursuit is mutual. Because who knows, it's not a relationship if it's a one way street. If it's only one person, I love you, I'm pursuing you. And then you're broken, you're like, I don't want God, but then you're angry at God for not helping you. Anyone been there? Yeah. It's like, I hate God, but why won't he fix me? Yeah, there you go. Draw near to me, because what happens, guys, is when we draw near, we become awakened to the fact he's been drawing near the entire time. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. I gave this example last week, right? If you were renting a home, uh, your landlord wouldn't just walk into your kitchen, open your pantry, break out a bowl, 3 a.m. in the morning, start eating your cereal, right? He wouldn't just do that. He's like, well, I own the house. Like, no, (laughs) it doesn't work like that, right? There's confines. The same way with God, he's not gonna just break in and manifest among you, which he can if he wants, but if you don't want him, if, if, if he's not prioritized, I think we forget that God's a person, right? He has a mind, will, and emotions. That there's actually a relational dynamic with God that he is so otherly and so much more holy than we are. But because of Jesus, we've been invited into a relationship, right? Presence, relational nearness. That there's things that God likes. This is a, let this hit you. There's things God likes and there's things God doesn't like. Spend your whole life figuring that out. That's holiness, right? There's things that God likes and things that he doesn't because he's set apart. He's, he's so much apart from what we are like because there's things he likes and things he doesn't like. All right. So Ephesians 2.22 says this, I love this. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right. Right, in him, you are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That learning to host God's presence is at the center of our assignment. Like I mentioned before, Jesus said his Spirit would be in you, but also with you. 
And so we see this language Paul uses. He refers to us as temples, as temples of the Holy Spirit, that the temple was God's resting place. It's where he dwelled. It's where he met with man. And so every time, guys, we pray, we worship, we gather, our duty is to receive Jesus as the guest of honor. Uh, we, we, we posted this, this post on our Instagram, uh, which we're about to, I'm about to teach on in depth. But how do, we post, how do we host the presence, right? If you follow us, we posted this. And I posted this, and we had, I had someone reach out and share this testimony uh, that I want to share. I think it's so good. He said this. He said, I have the gift of hospitality, uh, but I used to be homeless and used to live in a very small place for about a year. And I used to feel bad because I could not invite others into my space and grow in that gift of hospitality. But one day the Holy Spirit asked me, could I not practice hospitality towards his presence? Even if what I had was too small to invite others into, I could still steward what I had for the sake of honoring the Spirit of God who is dwelling with me. The Lord used it to show me ways I needed to grow before making my place somewhere others would want to come into. It was so good. So I want to teach on this morning on uh, just four ways and, and biblically of how do we actually host his Presence. You guys ready for this? All right, number one is we prepare for his arrival. This is significant. We prepare for his arrival. And as I'm teaching this, I, wanna, I want you to picture like you're getting ready for Jesus to come into your home, right? So first thing, we prepare for his arrival. Uh, let's go to 2 Samuel 6, 17. I want to go through how David did this. So 2 Samuel 6, 17 says this, that they brought the ark of the Lord. Okay, so this is David bringing the ark into Jerusalem. It's been stored away for 40 years. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent or the tabernacle that David did what? That he prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Uh, this is important that Guys, you prepare for what you value. You prepare for what you value, right? You know the parable of the, the 10 virgins or the 10 bridesmaids, right? Half prepared for the arrival and the other half didn't. The half that didn't prepare weren't welcome into the wedding feast. And there's a lot of eschatological right, stuff there, but there's, there's a practice. There's, there's, there's a, 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 a practice in the importance of preparation, right? If, if someone who was like that you honor so highly was to come to your home and you didn't prepare anything, like there's mud on the floor, right? Like you didn't even do the dishes. There's like your kids' clothes are everywhere, you know, which is fine, but there's something significant, not because we have to, to be perfect for him, but because it communicates how much we value him. Uh, Psalm 24, three to four says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Give some context for this verse. A lot of people believe that this is talking about David's tabernacle because David's tabernacle was on Mount Zion, okay? So it says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? 
who may draw near to God, who may stand in his holy place. Verse four, this is important. It says this, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, right? Blessed are those who are pure in heart for they will what? They will see God. That there's something on our end that has to happen for us to host him. To host him well, guys, we start by preparing our hearts. <laughs> There's a verse Paul says that, what place does idols have in the temple? <laughs> that what if when we gather on Sundays or in your homes ready to connect with him, that what if we gather full, ready to pour out instead of trying to get filled? Did I share this in first service? Guys, church is not a buffet. It's not calm, just get what you want. Some mashed potatoes. Oh, I like that over here. I like that kid's ministry. Let's get some of that. I don't really like that thing. That's kind of inconvenient. I don't want to give, but I'll get some of that, right? If you're not, a, if you're not saved and you're an unbeliever, that's totally okay. Come and receive. But if you know Jesus switches, that you don't come to a buffet, you come to a potluck, that you come to bring something. Just because you're not on a microphone doesn't mean that you're not coming to bring something. Just because you're not on a microphone doesn't mean you're not leading, <laughs> doesn't mean you're not serving. And this is what's so unique because we've, we've made church about a platform when it's actually a people around a person, Jesus. So what would happen, guys, if on Sunday we come full because we love when the temple comes together to host him? And instead of coming, waiting for God to do something, you actually spend the rest of the six days of your week connecting with him. So when you come, you're ready to pour it out. So we gather to give him an even more beautiful offering. Think about what church would look like, like a, not just breakthrough, but what would church look like as a whole if we actually gathered to give him something? All right, you'll get that tomorrow. That's fine. Number two is we welcome him in. Second Samuel 6, 14 to 15. This is David as he, he's bringing the ark. He's leading the ark into where he's going to place it. It says this, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Let me say this, that welcoming him in demands a response. Imagine if you have a guest of honor coming into your home and you just completely ignore them. <laughs> They're like knocking at the door. Hey, I'm here. And you're just like ignoring them the whole time. Or you open the door and you just walk away. You don't, don't even say anything, right? Because it all comes down to, guys, how we value him. That's it. For us to, to boil this whole sermon down, it's how we value him. So we welcome him in. Welcoming him in demands a response. Uh, psalm 24, verse seven, uh, this is another psalm. And uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the psalms are known to be written during David's tabernacle, Right? During this time where they're just worshiping and singing, they would write down these psalms. 
They believe that this is one of those Psalms uh, speaking to the moment that we just read in 2 Samuel where they're bringing the ark in. It says, lift up your heads, you gates. I want you to listen to this. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. That the phrase lift up your heads is an expression of joy or celebration. That there is an expression of joy or celebration when we welcome him in. Because this is interesting, I want you to see this. There is a response that welcomes him in. There is a response that welcomes him in. There's a response that changes God just being everywhere and God being here. Lift up your heads, you gates be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. If you are trying to host him, but you're not there to say, hey, come on in, Jesus. My heart is, is yielded. You are the guest of honor. You are, you are priority. Not my dignity, not tomorrow's worries, not yesterday's fears. You are priority. That's what welcomes him in. That we look at Revelation, we look at the picture of, of the throne room, which is very interesting, right? I like the, the term people say, it's God's living room. In God's living room, he wouldn't have them doing what they're doing if he didn't like it. If he didn't like elders bowing down and all these weird beasts saying, holy, 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 and if he didn't like bowls of incense being poured out, he wouldn't have it. And so God's desire reveals his design. That God's design also reveals his desire. And so in this, guys, we see something that there's actually response, not because God is begging for it, but because it's the only thing you can do when you see him. The only thing you can do when you see him is to tell him what he's like. You're holy. You're worthy. I'm here to celebrate who you are. Does that make sense? So we welcome him in. Okay, the third one is that we give him our best. I gave this example last week, right? If you were to have a guest of honor coming into your home and all you gave them was Lunchables, like, you know, those nacho ones? Nasty, right? It's probably not even real cheese, right? Because again, this all goes back to value, it isn't about we have to do something for God to do something. or It's literally like if you love someone, faith without works is dead. <laughs> if you love someone, there's a response that comes to loving. There's a response that comes to honoring. There's a response that comes, right, to, to lifting him. And so in 2 Samuel 6, 21 and 22, David did this. And this is so, so interesting. So David has this whole procession, right? It's like a, like a parade, a celebration. The ark is coming in. And it says this in a couple of verses before that, that David goes home to actually bless his household. He's so excited. He's coming home to bless his household. But he comes home and his wife, Michal, right, which is the daughter of Saul, which is a lot of drama already, the daughter of Saul, and she's just rebuking him. 
She's like, how dare you do that? You look like a fool. How dare you dance and, and swing and, and you're a king. How dare you be undignified? That look at, your, look at our, our slaves, our servants, they're seeing you do this. You're not acting like a king. What are you doing? This is David's response. David said to McCall, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, which is a diss, by the way, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate, say celebrate. celebrate. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will give him I will, sorry, I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. It's a really good response. It's like a mic drop. Guys, giving God your best will cost you your dignity. Giving God your best will cost you your dignity. I want you to hear this. It isn't about being the loudest one in the room and the most expressive person in the room because you can do that and your heart could be fully disconnected. But there's something, guys, I want you to see. There's a response that happens when you see him. But this is the beauty of faith. Even when you don't see him or feel him, you do the response anyways. And sometimes that reorients your heart to see him. And so we give him our Best. David says this, this famous phrase, right? I will not give God an offering that costs me what? Nothing. Because it's not an offering, it's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you. I will not give God something that costs me nothing. Okay, what, how does that translate? That means like what Daniel said, right? During your week, you're really busy. But you're like, no, I'm gonna prioritize him and his presence. I'm gonna sacrifice my time. That, that, that I'm gonna actually sacrifice my resources. I'm gonna sacrifice what is convenient. On Sundays when we're worshiping, even if I don't feel like it, even if I had a difficult week, I'm gonna push past it. Why? Because he is worth more than my dignity. So let me ask you guys this question. <laughs> and you have to answer, not to me, but to the Lord. What is worth more, him or your dignity? Let me ask it this side of the room. What is worth more, him or your dignity? There we go. He is. Right, it all comes down to is he worthy, is he more valuable than everything else or not? David said, I'll get even more and dignified. That's Psalm 95 verse two, I love this. It says, let us come to him with thanksgiving let us sing psalms of praise to him. What does this mean? That means we don't come empty-handed. That means when we come to him, we don't come empty-handed. Or we enter his gates with thanksgiving, we enter his courts with praise. Every Sunday when we worship, we actually believe that there is an order to how God wants to be worshiped. And so we start with thanksgiving. You heard it this morning. We didn't do that just because it's thanksgiving, right? We do that every Sunday. We enter in with thanksgiving. There's something that happens. One, it blesses him, but it opens our heart. The gates open up, right? What is thanksgiving? Let me define this. Thanksgiving is coming into agreement with what he's done. That's it. 
Thanksgiving is coming into agreement with what he's done. When you see the cross, like actually see the cross, the only response is thanksgiving, is you are worthy, you are so much more holy. And the definition of praise is agreeing with who he is, right? Coming into agreement with who God is. So we see this in God's living room in Revelation, that they're giving him honor, they're giving him thanks. They're, they're giving him praise and all the glory and all the honor. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours, right? They're giving this to him. And so when we're hosting the presence of God, when we prepare, we welcome him in, then we give him our best, we come with an offering. Guys, I wanna give this to you as a tool that will change the way you go to church and I'll also change the way that church looks is every Sunday come with an offering. Let's try it out. Jesus, I'm coming to give you something. The Hebrews 13 verse 15 says this, through Jesus, therefore let us continually, not just on Sundays, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Guys, Worship, worship is not just about singing songs. If you think it is, you're missing out. Worship is not just singing truths, which in essence it's there, but worship is actually about giving the most valuable person in the entire cosmos an offering. Think about how that changes the way you worship. All right, you guys ready for the last one? The fourth and last one is we stay present and connected. This is so important. We stay present and connected. First Chronicles 16, 37 says this. This is David, he brings the ark, it's finally there. It says, so he left before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Asaph and his brother to minister before the ark, right, which we'll teach on soon, to minister before the ark, Continually, say continually. As every day's work required. So what David did is he created this environment where God was literally worshiped nonstop. <laughs> 24 hours for 33 years. It's believed David created this culture where God was ministered to nonstop. What does this mean? That God and his people were in constant connection. that David didn't create a culture where people just had a moment of an encounter. He created a culture where God dwelled among them because they continually ministered before him. Let me give you guys a cheat code. The best way to enter God's presence is to give him yours. The best, quickest way to enter God's presence is to give him yours. Psalm 27 verse four says this, right? One thing I ask from the Lord, this is David. The only thing that I seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze. <laughs> That's it. Not to, to get blessed, not to get fixed, but simply to gaze, to stay connected, to look at him all 
the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Guys, the moment we disengage or give into distraction is the moment we stop worshiping. The moment you disengage and you get disconnected is the moment you stop worshiping. And so on Sundays, man, we are intercessors in this room <laughs> praying. People won't get distracted and disengage because that's what the enemy wants to do, to disconnect you. It's gonna end here in Luke 10, 39 to 42. I recap, we prepare for his arrival. We welcome him in. We give him our best and we stay present and connected. That Luke 10, 39 to 42, you guys okay? Yeah, all right. Luke 10, 39 to 42 says this. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet doing what? Listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Let that wreck your theology. Jesus says this to you, children of God. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. Say only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Guys, Mary was sitting at his feet and listened. She was present and connected. Martha was distracted. So let me ask you, who was a better host? Martha or Mary? It's Mary. Here's what's significant. The, pe- the preparations aren't bad, right? That's step number one, right? If these were steps. Preparations aren't bad, but it was the fact that Martha was distracted by them that made them bad. Preparation isn't bad. But how often, especially in church culture, Christian culture, we, we get lost in the preparation. We get lost in let's, how can we make this environment feel and look and do and experience and all this, which is all important. But how often do we get lost in that and distracted by that that we miss the person? I'm like, I'd rather just be in a cardboard box. (laughs) That's what it takes. Only one thing, guys. I think we've we've just overcomplicated this. We've overcomplicated it. That Jesus is saying, hey, there's only one thing that you need to do. You want to know the will of God? Here it is. There's only one thing. To sit (laughs) at my feet and listen. That's relational nearness, guys. That's presence right there. That Martha gave into worry and frustration, whereas Mary chose his presence. How often do we do that? We give in to worry or frustration, or we can choose his presence. So to end here, that hosting God's presence may not be pretty, it may not be convenient, I'll have the worship team come up, or easy for some, but to Jesus, he says, it's the better part. 
I'm gonna end this quote, Bill Johnson, he says this. He says, our greatest privilege in life is to learn to be a family God will rest upon. He is in all of us by covenant and will never leave, but he is not upon all of us. The challenge we face is to learn to be a people who hosts the presence of the Lord as our greatest calling in life. When the Lord rests upon a person, there is actually an atmospheric change that takes place wherever that person goes.